0: Hello, willkommen, bienvenue, konnichiwa, it's Amish Inquisition time yet again on Sunday the 31st of May, episode 134, I'm Amish Phil, I'm
1: Amish Ben, and I'm Amish Matt,
0: and tonight via the miracle that is Zoom, uh, tonight's guest is a visionary author, magician, mentor and speaker, he's the host of the Mosaic podcast, available on all your favourite podcast platforms, and the author of the Mosaic book. The Mosaic is an extraordinary tale about the absolutely ordinary, the power of connection, and the importance of disconnection, and the disrupt, disrupt, disruption of commonly held beliefs by seeing what we never saw before. Daniel Bruce Levin, welcome to the show.
2: Hey, thanks for having me. I feel a little. I feel a little bit uh, bare. <laughs> How do I get to become Amish Dan? I think I can change Dan? it. <laughs> Let's go with Amish Dan. <laughs> All right. Uh, are you well, Danny? There we go. <laughs> okay, there we are. I feel now I feel part of the tribe. Nice. Yes. Uh, yeah. Thank you. you well, Danny? Let's say that again. Are you well? I am am so well. It's unbelievable. We are are in crazy times here in America, as you are also over there. But we've added another dimension of having uh, big race issues. And um, the world seems like it is just uh, anybody's to take right now. And so what more and more is driving me to want to do is get out and speak with people about the power of listening because I think everything in the world is happening from the, from the COVID to the race riots that are going on to the political situations to education. It comes down, again, to the fact that we just don't know how to listen to each other. If we could only just listen to each other and hear what each other is saying, everything would be different. Yeah. And so it's so important now to just start this revolution of listening.
0: Mm. Yeah, here yeah. Um the thing is that people are so much more polarized, it seems now than they were years yeah. ago. Yeah. And it's
2: I don't know if I don't know if we're more polarized than we were years ago or it's more overt than it was years ago. I mean, if you think about American history, I'm not so sure about English history or, or British history, but if you think about American history, we've been we've been lynching black people from for years, you know. We have the KKK, we have, you know, we have black people that are just, that are just servants to the white. We have slaves, we took, the white man has has desecrated the Indians, the Indians that lived here, that was their native. I mean, like when you look at when you look back, everybody wants to be a white guy. But then when you look back at the history of the white people, we have really done a number on most of the world. And it's like, I don't even understand why, like what, what happened? What did, what did people do? We're so, we're so privileged in so many ways to be just born as white men. Mm. And yet the, the actions of our ancestry has been to really slaughter and kill and maim and hurt. I mean, and it's not just white people, but like, if you think about religion, so many people have been killed in the name of religion and crusades Right, So many people have been killed in the name of political battles and, and strife. So many people have been killed in the name of freedom. I mean, at what point is enough enough? At what point do we say, hey, you know something? Sure, we disagree. Of course, we, of course we're not going to agree on anything. But one of the reasons why I love the image of the mosaic is that a mos- in, in a mosaic, very rarely do pieces connect side to side like this. Sometimes they just connect corner to corner. And it's this connection of corner to corner, even though this piece and this piece don't agree about much, but they just find this one place of connection. And that allows the mosaic to be whole. That allows it to, to flow and continue and the artistry of the mosaic to maintain. Why can't we as humans beings do that? Like, why is it so important that people agree with us? Okay, Who cares? In 65 years of being alive, no one's ever asked me to agree with them. If I was able to love and accept them, if I was able to listen to them and have them feel heard, if I was able to acknowledge and validate them, they don't give a damn if I, if I, they, some of my best friends have the most fucked beliefs you'd ever want to imagine. <laughs> I would imagine if we became friends, I would say the same thing about you and you about me, right? Yeah. But, but there's a commonality of, 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 that brings us together that's deeper than what we believe. And I don't understand why suddenly what we believe or the color of our skin or the religion we practice or the political party we follow or the financial p- group we, we're a part of comes in the way of that. That's not what's important.
0: It sounds like what we need to do is break through this sort of tribal mentality that a lot of us have and that we want to yeah. be with our tribe. And we, we see, you know, if you're in the Republican tribe, then you see the Democrats as the opposite tribe yeah. or if oh, yeah. you're the Manchester United tribe, you see the Man City tribe who are against you yeah. or, um, I'm, I'm a, I'm a PC. Is it? No, I'm a, I'm a Mac. You know, there's the yeah, Apple tribe, tribe and the Android yeah. tribe. And, uh, yeah, we yeah. seem to focus a lot on what divides us rather than like what you say, the things that unite us.
2: So I, and I sort of understand it because years ago it was really hard to have a voice. And so all of us as individuals really couldn't be heard. So what happened is we decided to come together in like-minded communities. And the first time I found my like-minded community, I was like, I, th- I thought I died and went to heaven. I couldn't believe other people were as crazy as I was. And that there was another group of people that, that, that was just crazy like me and had fun like me and thought like I thought. And for a while, it was just fabulous. Mm. But in everything, there's a moment of, uh, where it's great and a moment where it recedes. And right now, our like-minded communities have created silos that keep us isolated from each other. And now the people walking between the silos are so few because everybody has to silo up so that they can be heard or they can defend themselves against the onslaughts of those people who want to take them in. Yeah. And so we have silo against silo fighting against each other, but the world we forgot the world wasn't created in silos. The world was created without anything to obstruct us and open fields and beautiful valleys. And it's time for us to to melt down those silos and say, it's time for us to mix together with like and unlike minds, because we really need to innovate a new world. Now we, the world that we're living in is being shown to us. It's just not really holding up. It's not sustainable to keep doing the things we're doing. And that's why people are rising up. Mm. So, what would happen if we sat together and innovated and heard different opinions? Because when we all just say the same thing, we'll always do the same thing. We'll never we'll never do anything different. And the same thing is no longer working. So the only way, not the only way, one way, in my, in my opinion, is to come together with unlike minds, to sit together and hear different ways of seeing the same thing. You know, I always think that when I speak, people say it's impossible. It's not going to be possible. There's so much tension and so much division and so much. But the only reason it's impossible is we haven't found the way yet to make it possible. And if we can start looking at new ways to do things, if we can bring people that don't believe like us together, the worst that's going to happen is we're going to have new alternatives, new possibilities, and whether those are going to lead us to the to making the impossible possible, we don't know, but they will lead to something. They'll lead to something different. But I believe that it will, if we start to listen more and and embrace the ideas of the many, we'll make the impossible possible.
0: Yeah. There was an interesting article in the news over here this week about Facebook, and uh, the gist of the article was that um, some of the top execs in Facebook. I'd, uh, I'd found evidence that the software, the platform, was being was actually dividing people more than you know. I think the motto of Facebook is bringing people together or something like right, that. Right, right. And uh, the the outcome has been contrary, and it's this uh, what do they call it? Uh, not a bubble, um,
1: but the echo chamber. Echo chamber.
0: That's it. Yeah, people uh, tend to just follow people who think the same way as them. And join mm-hmm. groups of, of people who, who are in the same frame of mind. And again, that's restricting your ability then, isn't it? To, to hear yeah. different opinions.
2: I, I think for those of us who feel to do so, we need to become disruptors again. You know, I'm a big guy. So, so naturally I'll walk into a room and I bump into tables and I knock stuff off the table, right? And, so- and, and, and I go, oh my God, I'm so sorry. But as long as it's down on the floor, why don't we decide together what you want to bring back onto the table? Cause we don't have to pick it all up if you don't want it. Right. That's good. And you'd be surprised how much quote unquote, sh- can I can I curse on here? Oh, yeah.
3: yeah.
2: <laughs> okay. You'd, you'd be surprised how much shit is left on the floor and we just come with a trash can with with a, with a trash bag. And we put the shit in the trash bag and we carry it out and the trash man comes every week and just takes it away. Mm. It's time for us to let the shit go to the floor to decide what we want on the table because we're just doing stuff that we don't believe in anymore. Seems, like seems, sorry, go on. No, you go.
0: No, I was just thinking fundamentally one of the stumbling blocks for this process is that we're creatures of habit and we're, we're look, reluctant to change a lot of the time. It's breaking through that, I guess.
2: Yeah, but... At a certain point, the pain is gets so big that we have to change. Yeah. And even if we're creatures of habit, we, when it becomes painful enough, we change. When it becomes joyful enough, we change. But we're a long way away from joy, right? I mean, right now, it looks like the needle that will move us forward is the needle of pain. Like, how much more are we going to listen to it? Like, how much more yelling at each other do we think we can do? Like, it, it isn't working. Like... do do we think if we yell a thousand times more a thousand times loud it's going to do anything more than it's doing now it isn't working so at some point you just we just have to say hey no matter how much i'm scared to change something has to happen because the world i'm living in isn't working
0: yeah so or it's working for the few and not the many
2: yeah but i don't even like i i have the opportunity in my life to mix with a lot of different people and over the course of my life i've sat with the richest people in the world not in auditoriums where they gave lectures but at their dining room tables i've been i've been fortunate enough to be their friends their friends and to have them speak to me about things that trouble them and, have, and and allow me to speak to them about what troubles me i've sat at the dining room table with their with their parents and their children and their, and we've and we've just been together just just being together as friends and i've also had the brilliant opportunity to sit on some of the some of the coldest cardboard boxes you could ever imagine on street corners in cities where it's freezing cold with some of the poorest of the poor and you know that every single one of them no matter how much money they have no matter how what color their skin no matter what religion they practice no matter what job they do or don't do no matter how big their home or how or the fact that they don't have a home Every single one of them wants the same thing. They just want to be loved and accepted. They want to be listened to and heard. They want to be acknowledged and validated. And, and when they do that, when, like when I'm able to do that, the most amazing things happen. In my book, The Mosaic, it's a story about a boy who loses his parents two years apart on the same day. And when he asks the adults where his parents are, they tell him they're in a place called heaven. So he sets out in search of the place called heaven. He misses his parents so much that he says, I gotta find this place called heaven. But the people he meets are not the people that he thinks he's gonna meet. He thinks he's gonna meet the rabbis and the priests and the swamis and the gurus and the shamans and the Aborigines elders and the, and the medicine men and the, you know, and he doesn't meet those people. He meets the trash man and the road worker. He meets the street artist and the blind woman and the homeless guy and the waitress and the juice man. And even he's even he like he's a bit of a snob and he wonders, why am I meeting these people? These aren't people that can show me anything. <laughs> but then a voice comes to him and he says, that says, but you're with them. Why not just listen to what they have to say? And in each case, when he sits and listens to them, in 100% of the cases... The person he thought he was walking up to isn't at all the person they are. And he sees that he can't see. He didn't. The world he sees is not at all the world it is. And it happens over and over and over again. And he starts to wonder, what would I actually see if I could see what I don't see? Because clearly what I'm seeing is not real. These people are not who I thought they were. And at that moment, he looks over to the right and he sees a monk unzipping the sky. And inviting him to walk into a parallel reality where he thought, holy toly, Toledo, where did this thing come from? And he walks through and he meets the wise one, who's the keeper of the mosaic. And I'll pause it there so that if people are listening, they they can get it on Amazon or on my website. Yes,
0: it's available on Amazon. We don't want any spoilers, do we?
2: We don't don't want to... I don't want to... I don't want to do the, have the trailer take over the end so exactly. people go, oh, great. Um, I was about you know, halfway through it. it. This is an audio book, right, Danny? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's becoming an audio book, right? Uh, but, but the most interesting thing is when I had that realization that what I see isn't what is, that completely, uh, it altered my life. Like, can you imagine son- suddenly not trusting what you see anymore? How is it possible? Like, what else is really happening? Uh, most of the world that we know lives outside of our silo. Lives, and our silos are our comfort zones. They live outside of our comfort zones. And when we take the risk to go outside of those comfort zones and sort of engage in the world around us... Uh-oh, feedback. Sorry. All sorts of things start happening. So my invitation to anyone who's listening, who doesn't think I'm crazy already, <laughs> um, and, and that may be a very small number of you, is to, is to explore the possibility of what would happen if you were able to listen to people more and if you were to let go of that initial first judgment like one great thing to do for people because we're so divided is take everything you believe for a few moments and just slide it to the right. Just and see what would be behind what you believe. Take everything you think, you know, and slide it to the right. (laughs) And what's there and what's there looking at you. You can always pull it back, but what will you hear if you could, if you would free up your mind of all the, shit that you that goes through your head all the time and i can tell you from my personal experience one of one of the weird things that i'm able to do is i'm able to hear people's souls speak because i don't hear all the noise that's in their system and what you will hear is amazing if you take the time during covid which where we can't go outside if you can't go outside why not go inside Why not take the time to just explore the most beautiful adventure you could ever have by going within yourself? What are we so scared to find?
0: Yeah, there's a, I think there's a severe lack of introspection in the world at the moment. I think a lot of people don't take the time to analyze their thoughts or their uh, preconceptions. And one of the big lessons of the book, as you've already alluded to is about perception and how our perceptions can fool us and hoodwinkers, us. And, uh, yeah, it's important to analyze your own mode of being and how you operate within the world.
2: Yeah, there's a guy over here who's he's passed away now, but he was a friend of mine when I worked at Hay House. Hay House was a self-help publishing company. And when I came, they were a $3 million company. When I left, we were, we were making $100 million a year in sales. And he was one of the people that I helped to bring to, to Hay House. And uh, his name was Wayne Dyer. And he said, when we change the way we see the world, the world we see changes. And it's just so interesting. Because we think that we see everything just perfectly the way it is. But in the, in the mosaic, in the story of the blind woman, one of the things that happens in the story is she comes to a village where people were blind. And a healer to, came to the village and he said, I'm going to. She wasn't there when it happened. She came after the, the healer came. And the healer came and said, Would you like to see? And they said, Are you kidding me? We'd love to see. And he says, So I'm going to make it so that all of you can see, but there's only going to be one small problem. You're all going to see something different. You're going to look and you're going to see the color as a different color. So you're going to think you're seeing red, but somebody else is going to think that's blue. And for they say, oh, don't worry about it. That's great. We're going to be able to see. Well, the amount of fighting that goes on between them after a very short period of time where they say, that's not that, that's this. They're looking at the same exact thing. They just call it different names. That same thing could be God. That same thing could be uh, economy scales. That same thing could be color of the skin. Why is it so important what we see when what we see is the same called by different names? It's like a, it's like a, a stained glass window. It's still light coming through. It's just yellow, the yellow piece of glass makes the light look yellow. The red piece makes it look red. We're stuck in a world where we think what we see is real. If people could hear one thing from this, and they don't need to do drugs to have the experience happen, (laughs) even though they were helpful for me years ago. (laughs) When you suddenly realize that the world looks different than what you see, just sit with that a little bit. And imagine what would be possible.
0: Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, I thought the book was really accessible. I'd recommend it to anyone. You know, sometimes people get out of the habit of reading or uh, maybe they were never a big reader to start with, but it's so fast-paced, it really drew, drew me in. And I was—I think I said to Matt, <coughs> I have a, well, I was halfway through or shortly after that, it's probably one of the few books I'll revisit periodically and mm. reread because I think different people will take different things from it.
1: Yeah, and, and I, I think the same think person yeah.
0: would take different things from it further on throughout the life, yeah. depending on the mindset. I was say.
1: Yeah, sorry, Are you finished. Yes. <laughs> okay, sorry. I was just going to say yeah, because like kind of talked about about how personality might change across your lifetime as well, kind of things you're interested in. And I think certainly reflecting on myself, I'd certainly see things differently now to when I was say in my early twenties or whatever, or in my teens. Um, and I think, like you say, if you pick that up, say, in 10 years' time, you'll see a different spin on it, essentially.
2: So what I would be really interested in, in asking you, Matt, or, or Phil or, or Ben, whoever wants to answer, is, is what is the pivot point of that moment where suddenly you start to see things differently 10 years later than you did before? Like, what happens with what 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 happens in that moment where we're so fixed that this is the way life is, but then ten years down the line we see it entirely different.
1: Um, I think it's it's when you're surprised by something personally. So um, I don't know. I, I, you often it's a natural thing to have stereotypes and preconceptions about people and, and behaviors. Um, and to this day, you know, I still you know you might see somebody walking down the street. Um, and think you know it's not a particularly nice looking person or whatever but then when they come past they're, they're quite nice, they're friendly and they might say hello or whatever um, and there's a, an advert, do you remember that ad, that Guardian advert um, in the UK Ben and Phil where that yeah. guy's that sort of punk's running down the street and he looks like he's going to mug somebody and then actually there's like something that's going to fall on a baby or a person or something he pulls them out of the way yeah. It's that kind of moment essentially. I
0: think yeah, I've like
1: captured it quite well.
0: It was like a video of a stereotypical mugger running
1: yeah. t- down
0: the street. Yeah. And you think yeah. the worst is gonna happen, but actually his motives are
1: mm.
0: benevolent and he saves the day.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> things like that potentially, I think.
0: Yeah.
1: I think and, some and so go ahead. I'm sorry.
0: No, it's all right, go ahead. No, you I insist. No, you I insist. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say that I think it might be more of a gradual process and that rather than being um, very sharp pivot points, I think it's more of a growth. Assuming that you're on it and that you're looking to grow and not just stay in the same train tracks that you're on. Uh, One of the interesting things, um, in fact, I made a note. Um, It was the part of the story, I don't want to give away too much, but there's the part of the story where Mo defies the clairvoyant. And I thought that that was sort of suggesting that destiny is not fixed in stone, that it changes and that free will exists and we're more, you know, the lesson is that we're more than just a product of biology plus environment.
2: Yeah. And, And it's rare, like in the story, in the story, the wise one says to him at the end, I didn't think you were going to make it because it's rare to go against your destiny oh, and make yeah. it, Yeah, but you can like, there's nothing that can't be reversed. And that's the beautiful thing about life when you realize it. But let me, let me, let me circle around again for one minute, because whether it's an, a, a moment that changes or a gradual change to me, the crux of what we can do together in this conversation is start to invite people to explore those moments because suddenly we're so fixed on what we believe, right? All the, all of us, we see the world the way we see the world. These people are these people. This is the way they are. The, these, these people do these types of things. These people do these... And yet there's been moments in our life where we've changed our thoughts, where we've changed our opinions, where we've changed the way we've seen somebody, whether it's been through the mugger running and saving the woman, you know, and and our perception of them changing, or whether it's been something inside of us that has changed, that's made us see somebody different. They tell a story in Zen Buddhism about a monk who comes into the monastery, and he is... um, He's just so righteous and so, you know, like doing everything. And um, suddenly they realize that their their candelabra, the thing that holds their candles, is gone. And and it's been there. He's been the only new person in the in the monastery for years, and it's been there for hundreds of years. And so all the monks start to think, well, hold it, this guy was just putting on this righteous persona. Because he but he's really a thief and he stole our candelabra and he's gonna go out and sell it. And they went to the head monk and they said, you know, we've got a thief amongst us and and they say, Okay, well maybe we should go and check out what's going on and they and they all go in mass to his room late at night, so he can't he can't, you know, hide. And they go into his room late at night and they see him with they see him with polish and a rag working hard to polish the candelabra. He wants it to be the most beautiful thing they ever saw. And and they're just they're they're just so ashamed of themselves that they would think that he was a thief. But they went from righteous to thief to back to righteous. <laughs> and right? And so how do we make those changes? And if we can if we can give people some sort of little tips from not just my experience, because I'm just an old crazy guy from California. But from, but from your experiences of how, how, do we, how do we start that process moving where suddenly we say what we used to believe, whether it was gradual or instantaneous, changed. And if we could do it then, we could start to do it now. Because as we know, we're stuck right now in, a, in, a, in patterns of disagreement, stuck on, pattern, on sides when really what we want to do is, oper- is, is operate from the middle, I don't know anybody that wants to be on a side of something rather than in the middle and embracing it all
0: yeah I think you've you've found the right path to deal with this in in your sort of the mission that you've established with the book and then with the podcast about bringing people together and talking to each other that's that's I think that's all we need to do, but it's so hard to get people to do that, yeah, but I yeah, think what you're
2: yeah. doing is the right way to to go about it Thank you, thank you. And there are people. There, there, there are lots of people that are doing it. Ben, did you want to say something? It looked like you were going to chime in.
3: I was just going to say, with with that talking to each other, I think you learn more about yourself than than you would ordinarily. Um, and going back to what you were saying about potentially it being a gradual change and not a, an overnight job, is I've I've found that, I guess, personally my sort of change was when I started thinking more about how I felt about myself rather than how I perceived other people mm. thinking about me. And, and that that's probably the single thing I can, I can think of that's that's had that, that change and, and put me on that path forward, being more introspective, being more considerate, not only of my, my own feelings, but of those around me as well. And I think maybe that, happens to everyone but at different stages in their life and perhaps you know perhaps it might not happen until you're 50 60 70 and and in in those cases maybe you'd never you'd never have the chance to break that cycle of wanting to be viewed as a specific style or type by by other people and and trying to fit in and and again going back to what phil was saying joining a tribe being part of something and 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 never developing out of that polarity that that rather than being a mosaic, I guess, we're more like magnets in that we're attracted to certain types and we are repellent of others. Right? Essentially yeah. yeah. poles polarity. I might be waffling now, but <laughs> I don't think you're waffling. I think you're I think you're a spot on. Um
2: so I guess for me the beauty of the mosaic is it all comes down to connection and what is connection? Like how do we really connect with another human being? How do we, what, what are the steps that are necessary for that? And what it showed me, it really blew my mind when it showed me what it, what it did, because this is going to sound weird to people, but I already sound weird. I think so. What do I have to lose? Right. Um, it took me three years to write this book that's only 200 pages, wet, wet, you know, wet. It's, it's 200 pages. It's like, it's like, it's like so easy. To, you can finish it in an afternoon. And I, would, I battled with this book because I, I was writing what a lot of these people were people that I met along my travels. So I knew what I wanted them to say. I knew what they were saying to me. I knew what I learned from them. But I would write it and they would take it away from me. They would I would wake up the next morning. It was gone. It was the file was corrupted. I couldn't find it on my computer over and over and over again. So many times that I would wake up at three o'clock in the morning and I would want to catch it before it happened as if these little gremlins were in my computer stealing them and I wanted to catch them before they woke up, but they were gone. And finally, I sat with my book, and, and this is really interesting, and I really want to encourage people to do this. If something's happening in your life, if your business is having problems, if your family's having problems, talk to your business, just like you're talking to another human being. Just ask them, what is it you're trying to say to me? Like, what is it you want me to know? And so I said to the book, what in the hell is going on? What are you doing? You're like, like, this is crazy. I write it, and you destroy it. What are you doing? And maybe this conversation is mythological. Maybe it's not really happening. Uh, you know, I, I it could it could very well be a figment of my imagination right now. But as real as this conversation was, I saw them on a Zoom call similar like this. And every single one of the characters in my book chimed up and said, we don't like what you're saying for us to say. I said, what do you mean you don't like what I'm saying? This is my book. Like I'm writing, I'm writing the narrative. I'm writing what I think it is. And they said, no, it's not. This is our book. If you want to write about us, we want you to say what we want to say. And as long as you don't say what we want you to say, we're going to take it away from you. We're going to, we're going to corrupt your files. We're going to destroy it. We're going to make it not make sense. We're going to make it feel great in the evening and shitty in the morning. (laughs) And I said, what the heck are you talking about? This is impossible. Like this is, what are you doing? And they said, just listen to us and write what, you, we want to, what we want to tell you. And when I did that, the book was finished in six weeks. Uh-huh. And now to this day, I'll read it and I have no idea or people will read it back to me on a podcast that I'm on. People will read something I said and I said, whoa, that's beautiful. Where did that come from? They said, that's what you wrote. I said, no, I didn't. That's not, that couldn't be from what, <laughs> because it, it wasn't me that wrote it. And so one of the things that came through that do you need to unpack that a little bit, or can I go on to another point? I was just
0: going to say because I spotted this on your website. Um, What's it say? There was a quote on your website that you don't consider yourself the author, and I found that incredibly yes. intriguing.
2: Yeah, because I didn't. I didn't write it. I was trying to write a different book. <laughs> In fact, I started out writing an entirely different book, and then this book came through through to me. And so it was as if somehow but it wasn't like a channeled thing it wasn't like I mean maybe I'm a, I'm a hundred I'm percent fine with people thinking I'm a weirdo but it, but it was just exactly like this right now that we're having Wow and and it, I just saw the characters in front of me and they were just talking and so one of the things that happened in it when I ask you, Tell me what connection is. Each one of you, just tell me what you think connection is. It's like a jigsaw.
0: Go ahead. Two pieces, two pieces that meet together like a jigsaw.
2: Okay. So how do how do people or pieces connect?
0: Um, Through communication.
2: Okay. Touch. Touch. Okay. Relationship. Okay. So you guys all are saying what I used to think to. But really that's the fourth level of communication. That's the fourth level of communication. Connect the fourth level of connection. There's a connect there are three levels before that that most of us don't really have in place. The first is connection to ourselves. If I'm not connected to myself, if I'm protecting myself, if like look, most of the time most of us, I don't know about you, let me just talk about myself. For so many years in my life, I've I've put myself down. I've knocked myself down. I've tried to sabotage everything I've done. So I basically am sitting doing this all day long. I have an idea, and then I'm hitting myself and saying, you can't do that, right? And so look how close my protection is. Because the first few times I hit myself in the face, I said, I'm not (laughs) going to do that anymore, right? That's sort of stupid. So I put up a protector to protect myself from hitting myself. But look how close that is. And I didn't know where I was going to hit myself. I didn't know if I would hit myself in the face, in the groin, in the stomach, in the knees, in the, in the feet. So my silo of protection went that close to me all the way from head to toe. I didn't have connection with anybody. What happened was my wall was meeting your wall. And I wondered why there's not intimacy in my relationships with people. Because who I was was never connecting to who anybody else was. And so first, through the practice of kindness, I realized through the practice of kindness, if I'm not hitting myself, then I don't need to defend myself. So if I'm kind to myself, I can drop this wall. And suddenly, oh my God, the world opens up. There's like exponentially, I see, uh, there's a whole world out here. I'm no longer two millimeters seeing the world in a two millimeter circle. <laughs> and as soon as I did that, I, I connected to myself in a way that was that was more honest. Like I was able to say, here's who I am. Take it or leave it. You like it great. You don't like it great. And as soon as I was able to connect myself, I sort of realized there's something other than myself out there. There's something bigger than myself. And so there's a connection to source that started to happen. And I had to to get a little bit more humble and have a little bit more vulnerability to say, maybe, Danny, you are not in control of everything you think you're in control of. Because quite frankly, you're not doing a great job trying to control your life the way you think you are. Why don't you like surrender that some of that control to something bigger than you and ask that ask for help. So suddenly now I have a connection to myself. I have a connection to my source. And at that point, I said, well, gosh, if I'm if there's something bigger than me and I'm here, there must be some reason why I'm here. What would the purpose of my life be? And when you find a group of people that are kind to themselves, that are vulnerable and humble, that have a sense of purpose, and then you put those people together, those are the types of affiliations where Margaret Mead says of the world, it's always been a small group of people that have changed the world completely. Because you have kind, open, vulnerable, honest people that accept there's something bigger than them, that are purpose driven and your purpose and my purpose don't have to be the same, but we help each other achieve our purpose. Right. And that changes the world. So it doesn't matter how many people are taking sides. What we have to do is grow the the swell of the few to get so magnetic that people say, boy, I want to be a part of that. Right. Cool. Yeah. And that's what happens, doesn't it? When you see, all of us know people that have walked into a room. They don't; they're not the most attractive people. Let's go the other way. You've seen; I've seen some of the most attractive people walk into the room, and everybody wants to be with them at first. Until they spend two minutes talking to them, and they say, "Oh God, I, I, I can't! Like this person is the ugliest person I ever saw. I don't want to be anywhere near this person." Mm-hmm. And consequently, we've seen the other side. We've seen some of the least attractive people walk into a room and everybody says, "I don't want to be around them." And suddenly, the, what they present in, from inside themselves is so, is so magnetic that the whole room is around them. And people wonder, "What in the heck is that old fat guy? That's like me. What's that? What's <laughs> that old fat guy? You know, how's he get a group of people around them?" You know, because, because what I'm saying is so simple what i'm saying resonates to people who resonate with it and it's it's not pompous it's not arrogant you don't have to be you don't have to be a part of any church group when i realized that i could love and accept people when i could listen to people and and show them that they're heard when i could acknowledge and validate them the world became my oyster <laughs> because i didn't need to have college degree i didn't need to have an ordination in a in a religious group i didn't need to be a a trained coach even though i have all of those things none of them were important all that i needed to do was sit with somebody and love them enough that they felt loved and accepted listened to and heard and validated and acknowledged
0: You, you mentioned the source then um which was is that the source of consciousness is this like a universal consciousness sort of belief i mean well, yeah, did, to I'm me, not. you know,
2: somewhere along my life, the word God took a, ne- a nasty twist. You know, when I grew up, it was it was God, <laughs> like it was it was this. But even the even the conception of God, so so, I'm not. It, it, nothing in the mosaic is religious. Nothing in the book in the mosaic is spiritual. It's all about simple people. The, the wise one is the closest thing that comes to a religious experience or a spiritual experience, but. Source is just that universal energy that connects, that connects us. That's looking for the possibility to do this, to bring people together. Human ego is the is the force that separates us, right? And yeah. we say, "Well, I'm better." And if we live in, a, I remember studying in the in a seminary to be a rabbi. I was there five years. I left the day before I was ordained. Yeah. And I said to the, I said to my rebbe, I said, "Rebbe." How is it possible that our little study group of 300 people are the only people that are right in the world? I mean, even the other people that study in a, in a seminary, you know, down the block from us are wrong because they don't study the same way we do. He said, he said, well, Danny, we live in a world of duality. I said, but what happens when we go up to the world where it's not duality? He said, oh, it's all going to change up there. and This is all just to keep us occupied. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's not it's not going to be that way up there. So, if it's not that way up there, why do we live it down here? Why do we have to isolate and make those people wrong and us right? It just comes from our own self hatred, also. Like, if we keep hitting ourselves and we keep making ourselves wrong, then I got to make you wrong so I don't feel as bad about myself. It all starts with us baby steps. Baby steps. Amish, Matt, have I lost you? Where are you? you um, I can't quite tell where you are. are you, have I hypnotized you in my voice of you? What is good, what's up? I, I, th-
1: I think there's a certain level of hypnotism, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: okay,
1: well, I, poof, I, poof, let me get you out.
0: <laughs> you're, you're back in the room. I've
1: uh, been tapped in by the universal consciousness at some point there.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, enjoy it if it's real. But it, it's not meant to be a hypnotism, but but there's one of the things that troubled me the most is that my message is a message of listening. And look how much I talk. Yeah, well, that you're our guest,
0: so that's kind of the idea, Danny.
2: Okay, yeah, but we want to hear you. Own, we
0: want to hear thank, you.
2: Thank you for your kindness. But for my own sake, I went to my inner self and I said, What the heck is going on here? How do I speak so much? A message of listening. It's sort of counterintuitive. It's not the way. Like if I I should, why why won't you allow me to listen more and speak less? And what my inner voice said to me, which was really, really interesting. We have movements now where people are occupying corners and calling Occupy Wall Street and Occupy, you know, there's this Occupy movement. What well, my inner voice did, did is use that as a way to get my attention, and it said, "We want you to occupy the mind of people with your voice, with your words, because what happens is the mind of people is what has is what is where fear lives. And if you can if you can if you can speak nice enough and kind enough and 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 educated enough to get people's minds occupied." then the real work of what can happen, of your work with the heart and the soul can take place because the mind won't interfere with the transmission of love and energy that you're sending out to people through the conversations that you're having. So make no sense, make no, no, have no doubt about it.
0: Do you have anybody who? sorry, Danny, do you have any sort of practical, like uh, simple steps? So things I'm thinking about are like, we're bombarded with news media and 99% of it is negative and it's often used to divide us as more than to inform us. And you could argue similar similarly with social media and the amount of time people spend in front of screens now. I mean, would the, what about rationing that sort of Mm -hmm. thing? Would that be a, like a, a simple practical Mm -hmm. step you can take?
2: It's what a lot of people say. I don't believe it's going to work. No. Um, So, can I tell you one story that's that's going to be an exaggerated it's going to take a long time. I answer long answers to short questions. Right. I think you'll be happy with the answer. Yeah. Um I have the honor of having a 30-year-old developmentally delayed child. She doesn't she's not able to speak like you and I speak. And believe me there are a lot of years where it was not an honor to have her. I just, I just wanted to pull out every hair in my, in my head I, because it was just so hard to understand basic, simple things. She would say, I want to go out to the store, and we'd go out to the store, and she'd go, no, I don't want to go, and then she'd tantrum and, and yell and scream and attack me. And she would do all this all this stuff, and I, I thought, holy Toledo, like I can't even, like I want to eat, no, I'm not hungry. And then, and then she would scream, you know, scream, scream. And this went on for a lot of years. And finally, I said to her, Lisa, you have to figure out a way to talk to me that I can hear you. Because what she would do is she would say something and I won't understand it. And then she would yell. And when she yelled and I didn't hear her, she would tantrum. And when I, she tantrumed and I didn't hear her, she would attack. She would literally try and rip my shirt or bite me or do something. And it could be while I was driving a car. It could be while I was at a friend's house. It could be while I was in a business meeting that I took her to because she was my, I was, a, I was a, a solo parent. of My wife had passed away. And so I would take her with me where I would do things. And so in the midst of any situation, she would do that. Finally, after 15 years of this going on, sometimes as many as four, five, ten times a day, I just lost it. In the midst of it, I said, Elisa, I can't do it anymore. you got to find a way to communicate to me. you got to find a way to use something other than your words because I just don't understand your words. From the midst of her rage, she said to me, I am daddy with a big smile on her face. And I said, what the hell are you talking about? You are daddy. How the heck are you doing that? And she went like this. And I got from, she put her finger to the side of her head and I got from that, what she was doing was she was putting thoughts into my head. And I said, you little son of a gun, have you been putting thoughts in my head? and she did exactly what you did but it was contagious it just was this laugh that just was became uncontrollable finally she had gotten through to me how she was communicating and she was so happy all the tension of not being able to be understood finally she got it and we started laughing and it probably went on for 5 minutes but it felt like it was 5 years because <laughs> we were just laughing and one we would i would stop laughing she would continue to laugh and i was caught up in her laugh and then she would stop she got caught up in my laugh and it was just a contagious laughter and i said lisa I can't believe it. Now we have a way to talk to each other. What I realized, guys, is that every single person I know does exactly that same thing. It's what's happening right now. This is the answer to your question. When people speak and they don't get heard, they yell. When they yell and they don't get heard, they create chaos or they create confusion or they tantrum or they do something that creates havoc in a situation. And when their tantrum or their or their, or their havoc doesn't work, they try and destroy something. That could be a, mar- a marriage, a country, a building. A, and that's what's happening here in America now with the with the riots against the, the insensitive, insensitive killing of a black man by a white policeman's knee on his, on his throat for almost 10 minutes. And so at some point, you just have to say to yourself, how do we backtrack that whole thing? We can't shut off what people are saying. We just have to say to people, as soon as I said to Elisa, now I hear you, now I know how to do it. From that moment on, she never yelled, she never tantrumed, and she never attacked. She didn't need to. The only reason she was doing that was because she she wasn't heard. What has to happen for us simply is we have to learn how to listen, listen to each other. We have to do it through the practice of kindness. We have to just say, "Brother, I don't know what you're saying, but you please find a way to tell me." And let me—I I I may or may not agree with you. I have the right to, to agree with what I with what I agree to. But here's one thing I will tell you for sure: I will listen to you. I will validate and acknowledge that that's what you said. I will try my best to hear you and understand you. And I will love you. And it's going to take some courageous mofos to do that because in the midst of all the yelling and screaming, like I myself wanted to be in Minneapolis this past weekend where all the wars were going on, where all the fighting was going on. I've been doing this for a while, but I I questioned my own ability to sit calm amidst the rage. I don't know that I can do it but I have to try somewhere along the line. And if I get beaten up, if I get knocked down, if I get, if I get killed, so what? No big deal. We got to take the steps forward to break this cycle because left unchecked, it just continues to go. The momentum's only getting greater.
0: It feels like this is like a a pressure release that this thing happens in cycles and the pressure's building and building. And then an incident like this happens and then it, explodes like a powder keg and then nothing changes it all goes back to normal eventually and then again it just builds and builds and builds until there's another moment three years down the
2: road five years down the road yeah so what happens if that happens is those moments that recycle around get heavier bigger and 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 worse
3: yeah
2: because the same people who wanted to be heard three years ago and thought, okay, well, I'll try and listen. To, it, it doesn't do any good to, to, to destroy things and, 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 and ruin. I mean, I'm so against people destroying property and people people, you know, doing violent things. But there's another part of me that says, that at one point, when you speak and you're not listened to, and you yell at you're not listened to, when you try and create chaos and you're not listened to, yeah. It's, a na- it's a natural extension It's what it's what CEOs and companies do It's what families do It's what religious organizations do It's not just limited Every single person that I've ever worked with No matter what, what branch of society they're in Follows that exact same pattern And to me, maybe I'm too simplistic But the simplest answer in the whole world Is just to stop for a minute and listen
0: if Yeah, we've we got to break the to cycle, haven't we? What's
2: that? We've got to break the cycle. Yeah, the cycle has to break. The more we don't listen, the more we yell. The more we don't listen to the yell, the more we just we, we, we create chaos, and we try. And the more we do that, we, the more we destroy it. At some point, walk it back. Just start to listen, see what happens. They had something happen just this weekend, which was really interesting. Policemen and demonstrators were in conflict, right in each other's face. And about five policemen said, walked up to somebody in the crowd, and they said, let me hear what you want to say. And they actually talked one-on-one. They, they didn't let it get into a group talking to them. They talked one-on-one. And the other policemen saw what was happening and they, said, they started doing the same thing. Do you know within 30 minutes, the crowd dispersed happy? There were three people left that were yelling and they said doesn't do any good. We might as well go someplace else. <laughs> yeah. I mean it's just amazing the power of what something so simple would be.
0: Yeah. I mean the situation isn't helped because we've seen potentially evidence of agent provocateurs operating. Totally. Um I don't know if totally. you've seen the video of the umbrella man. I shared it on our yeah. WhatsApp group and it's you can see there's someone who's who's out protesting. Gets her gets phone, camera phone. And you can see this guy, all dressed in black, with a gas mask on, holding a black umbrella. And he's just walking along a shop front with a hammer, just putting windows yeah. through, just completely nonchalantly. And then yeah. he does does about half a dozen windows and then turns around, walks away. And, and they follow him and try and confront him. And uh, you wonder what on earth is going on. Who is this guy? What's he doing there? Who's he working for? <laughs>
2: You know, yeah, it's, <laughs> well, it, it, it's true because what and, and what we saw in these in these riots is a lot of the demonstrators have taken away, have taken down those people when they've seen them. They themselves have said, "You don't represent us. You're not here for us. You're you have another cause,
0: ulterior motives." And it it, yeah. it gives a bit, you know, it's it's trying to give a bad name to everyone, isn't it? Yeah,
1: yeah. I think that's something happened. Do you remember the London riots that kind of spreaded? across, uh, how long ago was that now? Six, seven years ago. Yeah, so, and then subsequently, you know, after all rights, there's always kind of a little bit of introspection or an inquest, and the reasons come out afterwards, you know, and it often is that people don't feel listened to, um, or they feel like um, people aren't treating them fairly and things like that, or they're treated differently to other people. It's always a common theme, isn't it, you know? Yeah. It's exactly the
2: same thing that's happening
0: right now. Yeah. I have a question what? for you, Danny. Please. If, uh, if I made you king of the universe for a day and gave you a magic wand, what would be the first thing you'd do? So like changing political, where things work politically, democratic system, anything you can think of, what would you do? What do you think would be the best first step you could make?
2: Um, so I have actually a little plan in place. I don't know that it will take a day. <laughs>
0: it doesn't evolve a compound or say somewhere in the states. No,
2: no, no, no. No. I've been working with some people from Stanford University that one of the one of the real well-known universities here in America. And they created a technology that's based on AI, artificial intelligence. And the artificial intelligence is created in an algorithm because when you look at the way uh, species, less intelligent species than the human mind operate in the world, when you look at the way birds fly, they fly in a flock. And it looks like they're in, they're in, you know, they're in geometric shapes oftentimes. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it looks like there's a leader, but they've, they, they've done research and watched. The leader is not leading. They're all, all the birds are flying with like a collective mind. They all know exactly where they're going to go at the same time. They've tuned into each other. Fish do the same thing. They fly, they swim in a school and their movements are too quick and too abrupt for them to be able to follow somebody. They're actually literally connecting as, as a species to operate. The human mind doesn't do that. We operate in a vertical reality where people tell us what to do and people, fixers fix us, healers heal us, leaders lead us, right? But the mosaic is not made up of a vertical reality. The mosaic is made up of of a horizontal reality where pieces just in the sheer presence of coming together create something more beautiful than they could ever do on their own. So we listen when you think about the fact that we're 8 billion people in the world right now. We listen to a very, very small fraction, minimal fraction of those people. The people that have a voice that lead us are are infinitely small. So what happens to the voice of all the other people? Before COVID-19, I had set in place that May 1st, I was going on on a trip around the world. And I was going to go town to town, village to village, city to city, street corner to street corner i was going to go to office buildings political political establishments government offices schools um ghettos homeless shelters and i was going to sit with people and and talk to the people that feel they have no voice and i was going to ask them what would you say to the world if you could say what you want to say if you had one thing similar to the question you asked me what would be the magic one and what what I want to do is then get an assortment of things that people would like to solve. Like, what are the problems? Do we want to solve homelessness? Do we want to solve global warming? Do we want to solve hunger? Do we want to solve sex trafficking? Do we want to solve clean drinking water? What are the things that we, do we want to solve race? You know, what is it we want to solve? And then I want to ask these people in my conversations with them, how would you go about solving that? If you could do it, how would you do it? And I want to collect that data. 'cause with, with computers now, data is easy to collect. So what they do with this in this in this company, it's called unanimous.ai. And they're incredibly good at predictive analysis. And what they've done is they wanted to show that the choices that they were making were choices that actually um, that the group made together were choices that were far superior to experts in the field or other people operating. So they brought together for instance 40 horse enthusiasts people that just said they'd like to watch horse racing. And they brought them together into a virtual room and in the room was an octagon with at the corner of each octagon was what was the horse a horse's name who was running in the Kentucky Derby. And in the middle was a puck. And they said in a minute we're going to ask you who's going to come in first place and we're going to activate your mouse at your computer to be a magnet for that puck, and we want you to draw that puck to the horse you think is going to come in first. But before we do that, we want you to write on a list by your side who you think is going to come in first, second, third, and fourth. When everybody had finished their own list, they said, okay, let's come into the room, and they activated and you could see there was a little bit of disagreement at first. They were, some people were pushing this way. But eventually they went to the place of least resistance and all of them moved to the right, to, to, to choose the horse first, second, third, and fourth. A $20 bet on their, on their decisions produced an $11,000 U.S. reward. <laughs> they had beaten 356 to, uh, to one odds. They came up with the right solutions. So they thought, okay, that's interesting. Surely people on their own cards, these guys must be really knowledgeable. They said to them, okay, on your own card, how many of you picked the first place horse to come in first? Zero. (laughs) On your own card, how many picked the second place horse to come in second? Zero. On your own card, how many of you picked the third place horse to come in third? One." On your own card, how many have picked the fourth place horse to come in fourth? Zero. And so what they showed is that collectively we're smarter than we are individually. And we know, we've grown up, like, I don't know how you grew up in in UK, but here I grew up with the saying, united we stand, divided we fall. We know that together we're better than we are individually. We know that we're stronger, we're wiser, we're bolder, we make better decisions yet we've chosen and been led to this divided reality where all we can do is fall. We grew up with the maxim. It's a true maxim. Why in the world do we follow something that only makes us less than, we, than better? Right.
0: Why are we stuck in this hierarchical system that we're, that we're born into? Why, uh, why do we stick with it when, it when the results seem to be pretty uh, awful?
2: Bucky Fuller said, you can't change the world through with the thinking of the world that is, you have to create a new paradigm that makes the old paradigm obsolete. Right. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to create now. And I believe this virtual reality of this swarm intelligence, which you can see at unanimous.ai, you can see what they're doing. I went to them and I said, okay, if this works, if this works for predictive analysis, great. So we can make a lot of money doing this, but what would it do if we took world problems there? Mm -hmm. What would it do if we put it at the the edges of that octagon? Hunger, homelessness, shelter, race, all those types of things. And let people decide what they wanted to solve. And let's let people do it. They said, we would love to do that. So they're they're willing to be on board. I just have to collect the data, and then that's what I was going to do when I went out.
0: Very interesting. It suggests a sort of mystical um, connectivity between us, which it sort of just goes against this reductionist biological view that a lot of people have of the world, and people are yeah. not reluctant to try and to even contemplate things like that. They call it woo-woo or uh, pseudoscience or, you know, yeah. pick your pejorative. It there, there seems there's a resurgence of that kind of thinking, though.
2: Well, when we realize the, li- the lie has become so easy to believe, we, we are calling it the truth. And the lie is that we're separate. And the truth has become so hard to believe we call it a lie. And the truth is that we're all connected. But it's not just metaphysics anymore that's talking that. The woo-woo of metaphysics isn't the only one that's saying it. The science of of, um, quantum physics is saying it now. We're noticing that we're made up in this body that we think is solid. There's nothing solid in it it when we look at it. It's just swirls of energy. Yeah.
0: We're yeah, more so nothing so the, than something.
2: And so the air that you're breathing out is what I'm breathing in because we're, it's traveling at speeds we can't even comprehend. So when the mosaic says what we see, what would happen if we could see what we don't see, it hints at things like that. We're not this solid mess. I want to end with one story if I can. Do we still have time or are we away? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Of all the conversations I've had with people, one one sticks with me the most. And I mention it on every podcast that I'm on. I mention it in every talk that I give. I, I mention it in every retreat that I hold or go to. It's a story of a homeless man by the name of Corey. And I was walking down the street and I just felt so much energy from the people around me that I just needed a break from it. And I walked, up to him, I walked up to this corner where he was sitting and um, he started to fight me. He said, this is my corner. You can't sit here. I said, no, don't worry, brother. I'm not going to take any of your money, anything that comes. In fact, I'll, I'll give you 10 times what, what comes in while I'm here. I just need to sit in the comfort of this spot for a few minutes and just sit with you. And he was so, so you know, he was so scared and so, like, so... Uh, I can't get the right word, but he didn't trust me. He didn't believe me. You know, he thought this guy wants something. What's he doing here? And we I just started to talk to him and I just started to listen to him. And it took about an hour to break through some of the, the walls that were between us. And finally, after about an hour of sitting with him, I said, Corey, you sit here and you watch the world go by you. I'm sure you see a lot that most of us don't see. What's one thing you would like to say to the people walking by you that if you could say to them you would you think would help to change, it would change the world? He didn't think for a second. He knew exactly what he wanted to say. i said that to a lot of people, and a lot of people have had pause. He didn't pause for a second. He said, Danny, I would ask people to take 10 minutes out of the course of their lifetime and just sit, go up to somebody they don't know and ask them, how are you? And then take 10 minutes to listen. Don't try and fix them. Don't try and change them. Don't try and help them. Don't try and do anything. Just sit there with them and listen to them and love them. And I said, Corey, why of all the things? You're homeless. Do you, well, you could have asked for a home. You could ask for food. You could ask for anything. Why of all the things that you could ask for? Did you ask for that? And he said, Danny, you have, you have no idea who I am because we just met an hour ago. But about three months ago, I was sitting here and I was so fed up with my life because I'd sit here and people would walk by, they spit on me or they kick me or they punch me or they yell at me and they, and they curse at me and they treat me worse than if I was like a, a, a rotten dog or something. And I thought, I'm not doing anything good for the world. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm an embarrassment of a human being on my own. People hate me and I'm causing them a lot of stress when it gets dark tonight, I'm going to go around the corner and I'm just going to take my life because it's a dark street where nobody will see me and I'm just going to kill myself. I'm, I'm, just, going to, I'm just going to end my life. And he said, not two minutes after that, thought came to my head. A man came up to put, and put his hand on my shoulder. And he looked at me and he said, brother, how are you doing? And Corey looked at him and tears started to pour down from his eyes. And he said, this isn't a good day, sir. And the man sat down with him and he said, tell me. And he poured his eyes out and the man just held him while he poured, while he cried. And he let him say everything he wanted to say. And Corey looked at me and he said, Danny, you know, it took only about 10 minutes for me to say everything I needed to say, but I couldn't kill myself anymore. This man actually spent 10 minutes just listening to me, holding me, loving me, giving me energy. And I couldn't say now nobody cares about me because somebody actually cared about me enough to do that. Wow. He said to me, that man has no idea he saved my life that day. Well, Corey has no idea that the story he told me has been told on thousands of podcasts and to thousands of people around the world and in lectures and, and conferences. In thousands of situations where I've been amongst other people and had a chance to share something with them, it's called the butterfly effect. We have no idea what, what the wings span, what the wind caused from one butterfly does to cause a hurricane thousands of miles away. So I'd like to invite people who are listening in honor of Corey. Take ten minutes out of the course of your lifetime. Ten minutes out of the course of a lifetime is not nothing. We can all have ten minutes. Ask somebody you don't know how they're doing and just listen to them. I think the world we see will change if we all do it. Everybody in the world will have will have had ten minutes where someone cares enough about them to actually listen to them and not fight them simple solutions to hard problems they don't have to be hard solutions they can be simple solutions powerful stuff
0: mm-hmm. love it yeah. well on that positive note shall we wrap mm-hmm. up Absolutely. yeah thank you very much for your time danny uh,
2: thank it you is, it is my honor you'll have show notes of how people can get and get to me yes
0: as usual yes, of course Uh, All the relevant links will be in the show notes and Mm -hmm. uh, it'll be out tomorrow night and um, check out the mosaic. I really enjoyed it and check out the podcast as well. Eavesdroppers. So uh, yeah, thanks Danny. We'll wrap up for tonight. Do you want to stay on the line just while we uh, play ourselves out?
2: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And um, let's make this the beginning of a relationship, and not the end, okay? Sounds Absolutely. great. Yeah, yeah, definitely.
3: Wonderful.
0: Oh, like pleasure. That. Right. See you next week, Eavesdroppers.